Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Book of Revelation, Session 7, The Names of God Revealed. So what we're doing in this uh, series, for those of you who are just joining us uh, tonight or online for the first time, we are going through the book of Revelation theme by theme. That's a little different than going through it verse by verse. Because there's a lot of times in the book of Revelation where a theme will show up in chapter 1 and then also in chapter 8 and also in chapter 20. And we want to talk about that theme. And then next week we want to talk about a different theme that appears in this chapter in that verse and that verse. So we're actually going through Revelation a little bit differently because we're covering it thematically. And so tonight we want to talk about the names of God in the book of Revelation. We want to look at that and, and draw strength from that and get vision for, for uh, you know, why God put that in there. So um, there is a, a feast, a feast available to us in the names of God which are found in the book of Revelation. The names of God all throughout the Bible. It just so happens there's a ton of them in Revelation. It's like God was trying to make a point. We want to study these names. When you uh, hear a person's name, and uh, especially in the scripture, their name means something. And, and what we want to do is we want to look at the names that God gave of himself, and specifically related to Jesus, that are revealing aspects of his character, of his nature, of his calling. There's a ton we can learn about Jesus by looking at the names that the Father calls Jesus, that Jesus calls Jesus, that John calls Jesus. I mean, there's a ton we can learn about who he is. And we want to do that. Part B, why he gives us so many of his names in Revelation. It's more than any other place that I know as far as a concentrated number of names in 22 chapters. Uh, you know, there's definitely way more names uh, of the Lord throughout the Scripture. But I can't think of 22 chapters or I can't think of one book that has as many as the book of Revelation. There are so many names. And I think that part of this is actually uh, a tie-in from last session that the book is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And so now what we're doing is we're going to look at 30 names of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the names in the book of Revelation, which God named Jesus, which Jesus referred to himself, which the apostles called Jesus. I think it's part of Jesus getting his own book is these names again and again and again. You know, if you have different friendship groups from over the course of time, you've got your friends from the city you used to live in. And you got your friends, you know, from the, the volleyball team you played on in high school. And you got your, your friends now. It's possible that you have a nickname from each one of those groups. And that if somebody else from a different group heard that nickname, they'd be like, well, I don't get it. Why are they calling you that? I, they wouldn't, it wouldn't make any sense. Because that name has meaning. That name has specific meaning. It, it's, it's got life on it. It, it conveys a, a affection. It, it conveys um, probably a story. You know, you got that nickname because you did that thing that one time, you know, it conveys things about you. So the names of Jesus, we learn much about the revelation of who he is by looking at his names. So that's why I believe there are so many in the book of Revelation that's called the revelation of Jesus Christ is it's the unveiling of who he is. Now, 
I just want to connect some dots here because I'm not going to say this again and again. I'm just going to say it once. Um, Jesus and the Father are one. So because of that, I am going to take some creative license tonight. And even though it's talking about the Father and you know that and I know that, Jesus and the Father are one. We can learn aspects about God. We can learn aspects about Jesus by looking at that name. Okay? So I'm just going to say that and here's the verse John 10 28 through 30 I give them eternal life now who could give eternal life but God alone I give them eternal life and they shall never perish my father who has given them to me is greater than all no one can snatch them out of my father's hands I and the father are one so I just want to say I know some of these verses that we're going to look at tonight some of these names and titles are talking directly about the father I'm not bothered by that you shouldn't be either Jesus and the father are one Now, I also want to point out one other point of distinction. Um, There are a number of times in this uh, study tonight where there were phrases that are telling us about an attribute of Jesus that is related to his name or, or that it's that's a phrase that it's he's kind of casually being called as a as opposed to officially being called. You know, so there are phrases that are describing attributes of him that are telling of who he is and of his name. And I've included some of those, not all of them. I've included some of those that I thought were appropriate. A lot of times they were in the, in the mix of passages or, or a verse where other names of Jesus were being uh, 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 listed off. And, uh, and so I included that as well because I think that uh, there's value in being able to see some of the attributes of Jesus um, in the same conversation that we're having about the names of Jesus, which are describing attributes of Jesus. Does that kind of make sense? All right. So uh, part two here, we've got names related to him being the all-powerful God. All right. So just, let's just look at some of these. All right. So we go to page two. The Lord, the sovereign Lord, the almighty, the Lord God almighty. Now, actually, each one of these is conveying something different. And each one of these is actually building upon each other. I I like to think of the Lord God Almighty as kind of the culmination of all of it together. Uh, But let's just touch on some of these points. So the Lord God, this is describing God not just as a deity far off who's powerful, but as a deity who is Lord. A deity who is involved in the leadership and, and the purposes of his people. So he's not just God far off, he's Lord nearby, he's the Lord God. But he's not just the Lord God, he's the sovereign Lord. He's the one in charge, he's got all power, he is, he is fully capable, he makes his own decisions, he doesn't have to consult anybody, he is perfectly able and wise and capable to make the decisions himself. He is the sovereign Lord, the sovereign one, the Almighty. The one in whom is all in all might. All might rests in him. All might. Anyone could not compare to the might of this one. He is almighty. He is the almighty. Not one of a crowd of almighties. He is the one almighty. He is the one who has all power and authority. That's so cool. He is the Lord God almighty. Putting the ideas together the sovereign God in full control, but he's a Lord. He's involved in the leadership of his people. 
but he's God. He's God in heaven, but he's God in heaven with all power, but he's the Lord who's leading. I mean, it's, this is so great. You just like throughout the book of Revelation, it's kind of like the angels and John and everybody else. They just keep freaking out and trying to come up with something cooler to top the last thing they said. Like, it's, he's, he's awesome. I mean, he's so good. He's so good. He's got all these bird-looking creatures all around him with eyes in their armpits. Like, they just I'm never stop staring at him. He's so awesome. It just The book of Revelation is this constant unveiling of the awesomeness of God, of Jesus. All right, names revealing his eternal nature. There's a bunch of these. Where we were just looking at the power nature, names related to his powerfulness, his, his bigness. Now we're looking at names that talk about his eternalness, his eternal nature. <clears throat> I've got a, wait, I skipped a page. Oh, I'm just turning pages left and right here. It's lots of fun today up here. Okay. Okay, what in the, what is this? How's that even in there? Sorry, I'm going to get organized up here. You just bear with me. Okay. All right, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. All right, names revealing his eternal nature. Uh, letter A, the eternal one. I, I, it doesn't actually say eternal one. This is another one of those that I'm, I'm calling him the eternal one. He's called the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. This is... This is this one who was and is and is to come. Again, those are attributes. It's not, he's, he's not exactly called that, at least here. He, he's called it elsewhere. But these are attributes describing him as the eternal one. He is the one who is right now, who always was as far the arrow can go that way in, in backwards and in past. He was, and he is to come. There's never a time where any of these statements will be untrue. He will always have been, always will be, and, and always will be in the future. Always. This is, this is mind-blowing. This is who he is. He is the eternal one. That's awesome. Not just the eternal one, but the God of eternal power. So he will always be, and he will always be powerful. He will always be all-powerful. Look at this, Revelation 1.6. <laughs> to him be glory and power forever and ever. So he is the one who is going to have power forever and ever. This isn't just a neat little song in heaven. You know, we have to sing something, so to him be power and glory forever. I mean, these, this is the declaration. This is the reality of who he is. This is the one to whom belongs and to him will be. All glory and all power for 15 minutes. Forever will be forever and ever and ever all glory, all power, forever. He's the eternal one of power forever. He's the alpha and the omega. For those of you who, who haven't stopped to think about what that means in a kind of a literal sense for a second, alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last. So in this context, it's a little bit like us saying God is so A to Z. God is everything. God's got it. God is, God is A to Z. He's got all this. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And while that does depict a little bit of beginning to end, because A is the first letter of the alphabet and Z is the last letter in our you know, language, as, as that does depict that a little bit, what it really says more than beginning and end is it says it's all-encompassing. 
God is the all-encompassing. God is, if it is, it's God. Yeah, God is all-encompassing. He's got all of it in his hands. He's able to work for the good of those who love him. He can stir any situation and turn it to his purposes. Anything that, that exists, he made it. It didn't come to be some other way. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the first and the last. This one, Jesus calling himself the first and the last in the first couple of chapters of Revelation. It, it happens in Revelation 1 and then also in Revelation 2. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the first and the last. This is Jesus talking about his all-encompassing revelation of time, his preceding of time, his post-seeding of time, if that's a, such a thing. Like, he's going, like, I have so got this. I, I, am, I, am, I created time. Like, you think in time I made up the idea. Time was my idea. I thought that up. I remember thinking it was a good idea. He says, I am the first and the last. I'm before time. I'm, after, I'm like, I own time. I eat time for lunch, son. Like, I got this. It says, I am the beginning and the end. This, I think, speaks a little bit more specifically of the beginning of the creation and human life and even the end time storyline and beyond. I think this gets a little bit more involved in the story. It's not just, I know all things. I was there before, and I, you know, I'll be there you know, after, first and last. I think this beginning and the end is, it's like, it is my story. It is my story, and I am intimately involved in the storyline. I have been there from the beginning. I planned out Genesis. That was my idea. I planned out Revelation, which you're in now. I planned out even what comes after and how it all flows together. I am the beginning and the end. This story is my story. I am writing it. All right, now let's talk about some names highlighting Jesus' leadership. So another category. Now, we're not talking about him as the all-powerful. Now we're not talking about him as the, the one that transcends time. Now we're talking about his leadership. Think about how each one of these like is so different of a conversation in your brain to think about Jesus. I mean, like each one of these sections sends you down a completely different aspect of his nature, of who he is, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like camp out on one of these and just read them over and over and ask for wisdom and ask the Lord to give you cross references in other places in the Bible. Like session seven here would be a good one to camp out on for some time in the prayer room. I mean, this would be a great one to ask the Lord for additional revelation because we're just speeding through it here. <clears throat> Names highlighting Jesus's leadership. I love the subject of Jesus's leadership. I love it because actually one of the reasons I started to try to figure out Jesus's leadership, and I, I don't have it figured out, but I'm, I am journeying. One of the reasons was Galatians 2.20 said that when I came to know Christ, I died and that I no longer live. And now he lives in me and the life that I live, it's not mine to live, it's his to live through me. So I really need to figure out him as a leader because I know what I am as a leader and I'm dead. I'm not in charge anymore. At least I'm not supposed to be. And so I need to know his leadership. I need to follow his ways. I, <clears throat> I need to have a revelation of how does he think related to life and leading and direction. His leadership is good stuff. The book of Revelation is filled 
with his leadership. I think the book of Revelation maybe displays his leadership more than any other book in the Bible. I mean, the book of Revelation is line upon line the battle plan at the end of the age. What we have in the, in the majority of the uh, Bible up to this point is we have God's battle plan start to finish. But when you really want to know the nuances of a battle plan, you zoom in on that thing. The book of Revelation is Jesus' end-time battle plan mostly related to a three-and-a-half-year period of time. So you got chapter after chapter after chapter about how Jesus is going to lead and then what he's going to do right after that and right after that and right after that and right after that. The book of Revelation is filled with the leadership of Jesus at the end of the age. It's pretty, pretty cool. All right, names highlighting Jesus' leadership. The lion. Just an interesting point. Jesus is only called the lion once in the New Testament. One time. I didn't look at the Old Testament. I, I don't know. Maybe none, maybe a few. I don't know. I just know one time in the New Testament. One time. We think of Jesus as the lion way more than we think of him as the lamb. But the lamb outnumbers the lion 27 to 1. There's, there's 27 references in the book of Revelation to Jesus being the lamb. And there's only one reference in the book of Revelation to him being the lion. And he's the lion. And it's good for us to sing songs about the lion. I just think we also need to get a little bit more revelation about him being the lamb. And the lamb being the one that opens the scrolls, not the lion. Pretty intense. Anyway, <clears throat> the lion. The lion is powerful and dominant. He's confident and powerful. He's, he's just, he's wise. He's unmoved. He's unshakable. He's king. I mean, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is the prophesied one from the tribe of, uh, of Judah, of David's lineage. Jesus is the fulfillment of that, of that man. But it's of his leadership for him to lead the, the, uh, the nation and to lead the end time agenda. Him as the lion. Him as the judge. Now there are, in my opinion, there are, I mean, dozens of examples throughout the book of Revelation of Jesus being the judge of him judging, of him showing himself as judge. And so this is another one of those where I don't have a verse in Revelation where Jesus calls himself Mr. Judge. What we do have is countless examples of him doing it, of him executing judgment, which judges execute judgment. And we also have the great white throne of judgment at the end of the age, actually at the end of the millennium. Revelation 20 says, then I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it. So we've got a great white throne. What happens with this great white throne? What's happening in this scene? The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Jesus, when he comes back <clears throat> and he's coming to judge the nations, he's coming to rule them and to judge them, he's coming as a judge. Now, think about a judge for a second, okay? And think about the black gown and like sitting behind the, the bench and got the gavel and all the stuff, okay? That guy or gal is qualified to make assessment, okay? And when things are going right, they make righteous assessment. They don't just say stuff. They're like, I'm in a good mood. Yeah, you're good to go. I'm in a bad mood. You're going to die today, sucker. They don't, they don't make arbitrary judgment. They make judgment according to righteousness, they make judgment according to what is right, good, and true. And in accordance with what is right. That's, that's the plan. That's what's supposed to happen. <clears throat> Jesus is the rightest, righteousest judge that has ever been. Okay? 
He makes no compromise. He, he does nothing wrong or out of a bad spirit. Everything is right. When he comes to make judgment, anything that the gavel comes down on, I promise you, it's right. And over and over, you see in the book of Revelation, right after Jesus releases giant judgments that kill millions or a billion, the angels say, just and true are your ways, O God. You are just, Mr. Judge, in what you have just done and released. You can't do bad. That was right. That was accurate. We're not just saying it to give you like accolades. Your assessment of the situation was accurate. It was, in fact, time for the death penalty. This was right. Yikes. Jesus, as the judge, intense. It's all over the book of Revelation. The Lord of the earth. (laughs) I like that term. I mean, we know he's the Lord over pick anything. But for it to get specific and go, that's my earth. That right there is my planet. That's mine. I am the Lord of that. Whether they think it or not. (laughs) Whether the earth and the nations, whether they think I am the Lord of it or not, doesn't much matter because I am the Lord of that earth. The Lord of the earth. My father made that place and he made it for me to be Lord of. I am the Lord of that. And so if all the little ants down there are acting a fool, I am still the Lord and I'm coming to deal with it. I am the Lord of the earth. I just, I love that term. Revelation eleven four there, the Lord of the earth. Another one that I think is just fun. Jesus, a couple of times in Revelation, called his Christ. His Christ, as if God's taking possession. It's like, that, that's my Christ. That is my, he, my son conveys a different thing. My son is, is pleasure and affection and relationship. My Christ is, that's the guy I put in charge. <laughs> That's the one I decided. So it doesn't much matter if you're all raging against my decision. That's my guy. Jesus is my Christ. He's mine. <laughs> just, that's so powerful. I mean, and even in the, in the thought process of at the end of the age, Jesus prophesied there will be false Christs. So it's almost like God's got them all lined up and Jesus is on a big pedestal. He goes, mine. said, all them others, they ain't mine. That right there is my Christ. Don't be confused. I just think it's a powerful statement for the father to take such ownership and say, I put this into play. This is not my son just, you know, rose up one day and said, I'm going to go, you know, take over. This is my Christ that I have appointed. His ways are my ways. This purpose and end time plan, it's mine. And that's my Christ that I've appointed. The ruler over God's creation. This goes a uh, kind of a, a mile high view. If the Lord of the earth is the zoom in on the planet, the, cre- the ruler of God's creation is the zoom out, go 10 billion galaxies out, okay? <clears throat> and all of it that you see, all the speckles and the stars and the, the stardust and the moons and the this and that, all of it. So he looks over at his son. He says, you are the ruler of my creation, of all my creation. Just love that. Look at this. Revelation 3.14, the ruler of God's creation. I just love that. (laughs) You see, each one of these names is telling you something different. These are conveying aspects, beautiful aspects of the nature of God. 
All right, I'm only on page five. We've got to move faster here, people. Okay, <clears throat> uh, part five, let's keep going. Indicating his divine nature. His divine nature. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Again, we're going to, just if this is a subject that you're excited about, or if you're not, get over it, because we're going to spend a whole session on it. <clears throat> down the road just a little bit, we're going to do a session on the Lamb and these, these 27 references in Revelation. <clears throat> but part of the reason this is his divine nature is no one can live perfect. No one is good. No, not one. The only one who could have lived perfect to be the lamb that would be sacrificed for mankind had to actually be God. It, it, it couldn't be a man because a man has sin, a man has issues. So God actually had to be the lamb. But he, in such humility and meekness, made himself that sacrifice. But it's actually more about his divinity than his, than his humanity like, because his humanity by himself wouldn't have been able to do it. He got to be God. All the other lambs that had been sacrificed, they were insufficient. And they always would be, unless God himself was that lamb. And he is and was. Of his divine nature, the amen. I just love this. It's like the, the boom shakalaka. He's the booyaka. He's the boom. He's, he's the amen. He is the end of it. He's the exclamation point. He's the stamp on the thing. It's done. He is the amen. Oh, man, that's good. Jesus is the end of the deal. He's the end of the story. He's the stamp that finalizes. He's the fullness. He's called the Amen. What a cool thing to be called. That's a cool nickname. Like, I just, Jesus and the Father had a good old day when the Father called him that for the first time. He's like, yeah, I'm going to let that one stick, Father. You go ahead and call me the Amen anytime you want to. He is the Amen. The agreement of God's purposes. The fullness and the, the stamp of approval. Jesus is called that. That's so cool. That is so cool. The Son of God. The Son of God. The one and only Son of God. Full of confidence that He is God's Son. Full of all of the, the essence, nature, and authority that God has because He is God. God's Son, the faithful witness. Revelation 1, 5 and 3, 14, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. You hope when someone sees something tragic, <clears throat> they're going to need to report it later, that they will report faithfully, <clears throat> that they will tell you the true story, the true testimony, that they will be faithful to show up for their day in court and not miss their day in court. In every form of the word faithful, Jesus is faithful. In every form of accurate witness, Jesus is the accurate witness. He's seen it all from the very beginning. He is the faithful witness to God. He is the faithful witness of God's purposes. He is faithful in all of history and will be faithful in all the future. <coughs> he is the faithful witness. He saw first. Do you remember? It says that Jesus did nothing but what he saw his father doing. He saw his father. He witnessed what his father was doing and then he did it faithfully. He is the faithful witness. He's the one who is holy and true. Holy and true. I love this. The, the one who is right and good. He is, in his nature, he is holy and righteous. That whole there's no one good, no, not one. Oh, yeah, except Jesus. He is the oh, yeah, except. He is the one who is holy. And also his testimony is true. His life is true. His, 
his thought processes, his plans, his judgments. There is nothing about him that he could say or do or think or be that is untrue. He is true. And it's not just that he's true. He's holy. He's good. He's righteous. He's trustworthy. He is holy and true. He's the living one. (laughs) I was dead. Behold, I am alive forever and ever. The living one. We do not serve a God of a dead religion. We serve a God who is Jesus, who died, yes, died, died, dead, and is alive again. And it is because he is alive again that you and I have hope. That aspect of the gospel is essential for us to know. He did not just die. He rose again. He rose. And it's with that same power that raised Christ from the dead that we have access to power, that we have access to the Holy Spirit. He is the living one. What a cool term. Hey, uh, my name is Brad. Oh, hi, I'm the living one. Nice to meet you. I'm the living one, alive. Phil just speaking of his nature, of his essence, the living one. Okay, I got to keep going, man. We're, we only got a few more minutes here. Bright morning star, that was just awesome. Go read it. All right, names expressing his human nature. The root of David, one like the son of man, the firstborn from the dead. I want to camp out there for a second because you remember a second ago, he's the living one. He was dead, but now he's alive. He's now using what he is, the superpower he got called resurrection, resurrected body, overcoming death. You can't overcome death. You die, you're dead. He overcame death. He figured out in his Jesusness, Godness, living oneness, he figured out how to not be dead anymore. And he says, oh, yeah, I got good news for you. I'm the firstborn from the dead. You all going to be raised up. You, like me, will get a resurrected body. I did it. I set the precedence. I broke out of hell. And now you will get a resurrected body. I'm the firstborn. I'm the first one. I'm the only one in heaven right now with a resurrected body, but I won't be forever. I'm the firstborn among many brothers. I'm the firstborn from the dead, and a time is coming when you will be like me. Names related to his authority by what he holds. Man, I don't know. I was just excited about this one. Page 8. This is Roman numeral 7. Names related to his authority, but specifically authority of what's in his hands. Authority of what he's holding. There's so much stuff he's holding. One, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword in his hand. He's got a sharp two-edged sword. You, you ever see uh, a man with, with blazing eyes and fire and, and bronze feet riding on an invincible white horse, and he's got a sword in his hand? You, you better get a little bit of fear and trembling in your soul. Because that man has got authority. That man's got power. And that sword is in his hand to do something. It's not just to wave in the air and look nice. He uses that sword. He's got a sword in his hand. He also holds the seven spirits of God in his hand. My opinion, I think it's clear. And I know there are those that disagree with me. My opinion, I think it's clear that the seven spirits... It's one of the most complex terms in the book of Revelation, in my opinion. And I think it's been oversimplified in a way that I don't think is accurate. 
We actually find out later on that these seven spirits are also seven lamps that burn before God's throne, and that these seven lamps are also called the seven eyes of the Lamb, and that these seven spirits go out throughout the earth searching things out on Jesus' behalf. Jesus holds them in his hands. I believe these are seven spirits. They're seven angels. He holds them in his hands. He's, he's got authority. In his hands, he holds the seven spirits of God. And they go out to do his bidding. They go out and they, they search the earth and they, they investigate things on his behalf. But he also, in his hands, holds the seven stars. And these seven stars, we see, are seven angels over seven churches. So he holds the angels that are in, in jurisdiction or, or in charge of these seven churches. He also is the keeper of the keys. Now, I'm adding this part. This part is not uh, explicitly in the scripture, but I think that it's pretty clear to infer it, and I'm just saying that. I think Jesus has a keychain. If he doesn't, he's just holding a bunch of random keys, and there's nothing more annoying than holding like six keys that could all fall out of your hand when you pull them out of your pocket. I mean, I'm just saying, just practicality, the man's got a keychain, okay? <clears throat> all right? He is the keeper of the kingdom keys. All right? Now, that part we know. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys, multiple, more than one. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. For Jesus to give those keys means that he's got them first. Okay? In the book of Revelation, we see he holds the key of David. We see that he holds the keys to death. We see that he holds the key to Hades. Death and Hades are not the same thing. Death means dying. Hades means hell. So he's got a key over dying and another key over hell. And he actually uses that key to open hell up <laughs> and then to close hell back up. I mean, he's got keys. And if he's got these plus the keys to the kingdom, I think he's got a keychain. So I'm just, I'm telling you right now, I'm imagining it like one of the cool ones, you know, from back in the day, you know, like imagine the prison guard of some, you know, dungeon. All right, and they got that rusty old big ring and those big keys that all look the same to me. And, you know, they all like that. I'm imagining just forever my picture of Jesus is he's got that somehow connected to his hip. Okay? Because he has the keys to heaven or to, to the kingdom. And there's more than one key. He's got multiple. And then, of course, we've got Jesus <clears throat> as our Savior. <clears throat> he's called the one who loves us. He's called the one who freed us from our sins. <clears throat> he's called the one who freed us by his blood. The one who freed us by his blood. And then also, I believe he is called the salvation of God. Now have come the salvation and power of the kingdom of our God. Revelation 12, uh, verse 10. And it's describing, the time frame is describing when Jesus is coming to take over the planet <clears throat> and administrate his rule. And to, to uh, impart the next kingdom age. And so I believe that Jesus is called the salvation of our God. And again, you, you wouldn't have to stretch that. Jesus' names in the book of Revelation are revealing aspects of who he is. They're, these are fascinating subjects. I don't know that I'd ever sat down before doing this study and just realizing, wow, there's a bunch of names for Jesus in Revelation. I think it'd be cool to kind of look at all those. I don't know that I'd ever sat down and just looked at them one at a time and meditated on them and, and tried to get a little bit of clarity and a little bit of revelation. 
there is great richness in who Jesus is revealed in the book called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It makes sense that then we would have entry points, access points, on-ramps to who is he? Well, if this is the revelation of Jesus, well, who is he? And then we've got all these names. I don't know how many there were, 30, I'm just guessing. Maybe there's more. I'm not going to call this a comprehensive list. I'm just going to call this a, I did my best in two weeks list, okay? So if you can come up with more, good for you. Repreach the thing. <clears throat> so here's what we're going to do. We are now going to break up into discussion groups, and uh, we're going to do groups of nine. If you've got 11 in your group, you have too many. So somebody needs to go away <clears throat> and go to a different group. If I can have my group leader stand, okay, I got Jeremy over here, okay? I got Andy in the back. I got Caitlin right here, and Luke Fredenberg's going to be over here. And you counted the good? Okay. All right, so if we can, let's go ahead and mess up the chairs. Go ahead and do it to make your little groups or whatever. Rally around these folks here, and, uh, and then we'll spend about 15 minutes discussing, and then we'll come back for some Q&A. I'm going to transition to our time of Q&A here. And uh, Andy, are we, we good? Are we recording? Okay. So we're going to do our time of Q&A. And uh, before we do, I just, uh, I just wanted to share just a, a moment. Um, our Foreigner Music Academy students, uh, we've been uh, going through um, uh, different uh, topics uh, on Saturday nights before the, the uh, time of teaching here. And uh, tonight's was on the vow of David. And I was just so gripped again by the importance um, of building the house of prayer. The importance of building God a place where he is worshipped night and day because he's worthy of it. And I, I was gripped again. David made this vow in his youth that he was going to spend his whole life trying to build God a 24-7 house of prayer with live worship. That's more or less what his vow was. And I remember being 25 and getting the call to start this and, and feeling so gripped. And I felt that gripping a number of times before. But here's really what David's vow was. David's vow was, I'm going to use all of my money. I'm going to use my time. I'm going to use my influence. I'm going to use any authority God gives me to build the house of prayer so that God is worshiped night and day because he's worthy of it. And I want to ask all of you tonight, if you're not committed to a prayer meeting here in this place, would you please do that before you leave? Here's the reason. We're trying to build God night and day prayer and worship with weak people. That's all, that's all that exists. Weak people that love the Lord. We're trying to build him night and day. Incense arising. And the only way we can do it is if one person says, I'll be in that room and I'll worship Jesus. And another person says, I'll be in that room and I'll worship Jesus. We're, that's the primary call on this house. I love to equip forerunners. I love to give uh, the book of Revelation. But I want to tell you that is so secondary. The primary value of this house is that we would build Jesus a night and day prayer and worship sanctuary. I want to ask you boldly. I want to use my influence tonight as a guy with a microphone and a captive audience. I want to use my influence. I want to boldly ask you, join one prayer meeting a week here in this place where you'll commit to be in this room and cry out to God. Amen? All right, let's jump into the questions. So uh, we'll start over here. Luke? 
So the question was, if you will, we have this menu of names of Jesus. Well, I love that. That's a great picture. This menu of names to order from. What do we do? How do we engage with Jesus with these names? How do we leave this room tonight and do more than, hey, we just went to a Bible study on the names of God. I want to encourage you, um, don't do what we just did tonight. Okay? Where tonight is just like... This one for 10 seconds, and then this one for 20 seconds, this one for 10. That's, that's a terrible way to get revelation. It is an excellent way to advertise a restaurant, okay? All right? What you need to do now is you take one name. You take one name, and you say, God, I'm not moving from this for 30 minutes. And you just meditate. And you read it again and again. And, and the reason you're reading it again and again is to get it fresh back in your mind again because our minds wander and think about other things that are related but aren't necessarily helpful, you know? You say it again to get your mind and your focus back and you go, God, give me revelation. What does it mean that you are the Lamb of God? Give me revelation. And you, you, you write down anything that you got. I want to encourage you, spend a lot of time on one name. Try to go as slow as you can as opposed to as fast as you can and get some revelation because I'll tell you what, if you have a good, like, I mean, a good bite to eat. If you have a good moment with Jesus about one of these names for 20, 30 minutes and it turns into 45, and you do that on two or three different names, you will be ruined and you won't want to read all of them at once. You, you'll want to go so slow. You'll be trying to figure out how to stretch that 45 minutes into three hours. And so I want to encourage you, go slower as opposed to faster because if you get a meal on one of those names, you will get a vision for how to spend the time on all the rest of those names. And so I want to encourage you to go slower. Uh, that's, that is an excellent question. Yeah, in the back, uh, Andy. Outside of the 66 books. Oh, okay, yeah. All right, so the question was, uh, we just read these names in Revelation. We know there are more names in the, uh, in the Bible beyond the book of Revelation that are names of God. Are there indications that there are names that are names of God that we don't have written down anywhere in the Bible? I would just say, duh. I mean, yeah, we, they have to be. I mean, there's, there, we're going to learn things about God a billion years from now that no one's even permitted to have a whisper of until we're at the billion-year mark. And so there'll be aspects of his nature. There'll be attributes. I mean... I'm just even thinking of the relational things like, like the idea of, you know, us calling God Abba instead of just calling him father. Well, that came from a revelation and came from, you know, us reading about Jesus talking about his father in a very intimate way. I think we're going to learn things from each other in a thousand years, 10,000 years, a hundred thousand years that we're going to be learning about the father that's going to cause us to even like learn each other's nicknames for God and, and learn other aspects of who God is. And so, so there's no end to this, but you don't want to be dogmatic about it. No, God told me this in my quiet time. Therefore, it is true and you must believe this. That's a bad idea. Don't do that. That's, we get dogmatic about the B-I-B-L-E and nothing else. Okay, so when we start to have things that we think that the Lord is speaking to us, those are helpful, but we don't want to push that on everybody else to make them think and believe. So my personal opinion is, I think there will be lots and lots of layers of revelation at every level, including the names of God, uh, that, that we will learn uh, over time and continue to be wowed and in just our spirits made alive by.
So I, that's a fun one. Cass, your group? Yes. So the uh, the question is the seven spirits of God. How does that uh, relate to Isaiah 11 uh, and the sevenfold spirit uh, that is uh, said to be in that verse? Um, I only count six in that verse, honestly. So I've I've spent a lot of time looking at Isaiah 11 and uh, trying to connect how that is the seven spirits in the book of Revelation, and I I honestly don't see any correlation um, in there except that the fact that God, God is all those things and 10,000 more things. Uh, so I honestly don't think that there is a correlation uh, between the seven uh, spirits of God that are listed in the book of Revelation or, or uh, alluded to in the book of Revelation and, uh, and the Isaiah uh, passage that talks about and the spirit of the Lord will rest and, and then it describes different aspects of the way that the spirit is manifesting. But I mean, I think in that same passage, you could also say that the Lord is the spirit of faithfulness and he's the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and all that stuff. Like, I, I think that the spirit of the Lord is manifest in every way that the Lord is. And so when we look in the book of Revelation and it's talking about the seven spirits of God, it says they go out, they do stuff, they, they go. So they go and it, and they go <laughs> and it's, and it says that they stand before him and and so uh, I think it's, um, it's, uh, it's apparent to me, I'll just say it that way, that these are seven angels or something. Uh, you know, what, uh, the four living creatures, angels, I don't know, there's something. There's something up there that's angelic, we could say. These seven spirits of God are angelic. Uh, and they have specific purpose, and they stand before him, and they're also in his hand, and they also go out from him. Uh, so, uh, so that would be my answer. And I would just encourage anybody that's like, I don't like that answer. I disagree. I, that's fine. We don't have to agree. I would just encourage you, go look at the Isaiah 11 passage and try to make it make sense with all the verses in Revelation that talk about the seven spirits of God because that's the primary uh, passage. The, the primary passage on the seven spirits of God is Revelation, not Isaiah, the primary passage, because it, it's called the seven spirits of God, and it's not called that in Revelation 11. It's just saying the spirit of the Lord is with me and the spirit rests on me and, and then lists out different ways that the spirit is manifesting uh, on, on the servant of the Lord. So I would just encourage you, go and look, take Bible passages and compare them with one another. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. It informs itself. And so when you're looking at a Bible passage, you're like, I can't exactly make that work. Don't try to make it work. Just look at the other Bible verses and go, well, what is being communicated here? And, and in my study over the years, uh, that's, that's where I've been led. So great question. And again, you don't have to agree with me, and we can all still be friends, and everything's going to be great. Um, this group. Oh my. All right, so we're created in the image of God. So here are a bunch of names of God. So should we aspire to 
be these things or emulate these things? Um, I would say probably to a certain degree, yes. Um, and then the question was specifically lion and lamb. Um, I think in specific relationship to those two, uh, lambliness is a good thing. Um, meekness and laying down our life for our brother is something that is, uh, is frequently um, uh, exalted in the New Testament as a, uh, uh, a responsibility of the believer, a fruit of the Spirit. Um, and so being, uh, being like the lamb in that regard is absolutely something that we should aspire to. In the same way, being like the lion, if you want to take that in the term of being bold and uh, being a clear leader and following the purposes of the Lord. The thing about Jesus is he does nothing but that which he sees his father doing. So as a lion who's bold, he's not just out there being reckless and loud as a leader. He's following perfectly the plan, but he's doing it confidently. And so I think that that's something that we should absolutely aspire to. And, and maybe, maybe all the names with that little bit of interpretation in the way that we could apply them in our life could prove fruitful and, and be helpful. So good question. Uh, great question. So Jesus holds the keys to death in Hades. Uh, why is that term powerful or, or matter? Why, uh, well, what's going on there? And, and why, did Jesus, why does Jesus have to have keys if he's all powerful? So um, I think um, that Jesus is a God of order. I don't think that. I know. Jesus is a God of order. And order has process. So if there are doors and there are locks on doors, then keys are required to open those doors. And while Jesus could just bust the door down with his big old foot, he uses a key to open it. I mean, it's, he created the systems. So if he created locks and he created keys and he would hold the keys. So I think actually the expression of him having the keys to the kingdom, the keys to death, the keys to Hades, uh, the key to, the, uh, to David, to the house of David, uh, which is also in uh, Isaiah 22. Um, the fact that he's got these keys... Um, I think is uh, indicative of his authority, but I don't think that, that, that it's just, um, I don't think it's just like neat language. I think he actually has those keys and that it's actually part of the expression of the way that he orchestrates his kingdom. I, I think in, in the quickest uh, little turning to um, Revelation uh, chapter 20, um, says in verse uh, verse 20, verse 1, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss. Now, he got this key from Jesus, okay? Key uh, to the abyss. So the abyss, the abyss, hell, it has a lock. <laughs> it has a key. And, in, and unless somebody puts the key in the keyhole, hell is locked, Okay? But he got this key from Jesus, and he's going to open it. This is really not awesome. Okay? It says, uh, um, to having the key to the abyss and holding it in his hand, a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. This abyss was opened up in chapter 9. We don't have time to look there, but you can go and look at it on your own. Same abyss, same key. 
First, the, the abyss is locked. The key opens the abyss. Now it's open, and all these demons with crazy, gnarly things all over them come out of hell. And it's really bad for the planet, okay? It stays open until this angel comes with a key and locks it after he's thrown Satan in there. Satan, you get in there, push down, lock. Satan's stuck in there now. I think this actually helps us to see part of the orchestration of, of God's kingdom that like when Jesus said, like what you bind will be bound and what you'll loose will be loose. Like he's, there's, there's realities in the kingdom where we are given authority to trample down on scorpions and, and snakes, where, where there are things that transpire in the spiritual realm that are actually the activation of kingdom keys that actually lock up doors or unlock doors. And, and so I think it's a, it's a vast study, actually. It, it's, a, it's a vast and kind of a fun study to look at in the scripture, locks and keys and other associated words, because this is part of the way that the Lord runs his kingdom, kind of like how we run our neighborhoods. We lock up our house when we leave. You lock the door to the bathroom. You know, you lock, we, we do that in order to create boundaries and in order to compartmentalize some things that we need for a moment to be either secure or, or private or whatever. And I mean, there's even, even the scroll is locked, if you will. It's sealed. And until those seals are broken, same kind of concept. You can't access that information. So I think the concept of Jesus with perfect wisdom locking and unlocking things or sealing and unsealing things is part of the administration of his government. So great question. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Uh, if I can have the worship team come up, we're going to go ahead and uh, move the chairs back uh, where they go. If you guys can start to do that for me, that would be helpful. And as you get a couple of steps into that, I will pray us out uh, for tonight. And uh, of course, I just want to invite you to spend a lot of time in this room and other places praying through these things, trying to get revelation. If all we do in this study is you listen to me blab, you won't get the book of Revelation in you. But if you come to these studies and you hear ideas and then you go and take those ideas home and spend time with Jesus talking to him about them, you will get the revelation. You'll eat the scroll. You'll get it in you. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.